Rich Riley, excellent special number. Take your Bible with me. Now, I know you were just in 2 Corinthians 2. I want you to go this morning to 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5. One of the things that is probably the most exciting about being a pastor is the ability to see God working in the lives of people. I love that. Uh, Frequently, frequently throughout uh, the week, I'll receive a text from someone or maybe a note, sometimes even a card in the mail, that will talk about what God is doing, whether it be through uh, the church, people in the church that minister to other people actively, whether it be through the preaching of the Word of God, whatever it may be, and how God is using that in their lives to build them both in their faith, maybe to help them get through a difficult time of problem, whatever it is. Uh, But the church, I've I've always loved our church for this. You're very good about encouraging. You're very good about encouraging. This is a very gifted church when it comes to the matter of encouraging. And I I delight to see God at work. For example, I love to see a newer Christian, or maybe a Christian who has not grown in maturity, I love to see that Christian grow in further maturity. I love to see that. In other words, one of the things I like to see is change in people's lives. By the way, don't be averse to change, okay? Sometimes as we get older, we can be averse to some change. I'm not talking about compromise change, but I'm talking about as we get older, we sometimes are a little bit averse to some kind of change. Don't be that way, okay? You don't need to be stuck in the mud. And um, I will be in February, I'll be 57 years old. Now, I notice some of you, that's not very much. Someone said, ah, you're just starting out. Someone said that to me. I, I love that thought, but I don't feel that way physically, okay? And one of the things I, I need to understand is that things do change, sometimes for the better, unfortunately, oftentimes for the worse. But as pastor, you get to watch people and see what God does as they're growing and uh, becoming more like the Lord Jesus. That's a really good thing. But not only do you see and delight to see God working in people's lives, But it is also sadly true that I do have a front row seat from time to time to see that the devil is at work as well. If you believe in God, it would be inconsistent to not believe in a personal and real devil, specifically as the Bible describes him. Satan is a reality in the coming year, 2024, I am not making a prediction because I'm not a prophet, but if I had to guess in the coming year, 2024, we will see Satan more at work on the micro level that is in the lives of us as individuals and on the macro level that is in our society than perhaps we have ever seen him. I'm not predicting some terrible collapse or something like that to happen, but I'm saying that as the hour grows closer, I believe Satan will be increasingly active. And we would be fools to not recognize that the devil is alive and well. And by the way, if we fail to recognize that we are disobedient Christians, your Bible opened to 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5, I want you to look with me at verse number 8. 1 Peter chapter 5, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. Now, Peter was not blowing smoke. The apostle Peter believed in a literal devil, and he believed that that literal devil had his armies and his efforts trained against the individual people of God and against his church. And so he says, be sober, be serious-minded here, be, be vigilant, take some responsibility. You've got to be on high alert. 
Because your adversary the devil as a roaring lion walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. And then he gives a specific instruction, verse number 9. Whom, speak of the devil, whom resist steadfast in the faith. How do I resist Satan? By believing God. How do I resist Satan? By knowing what God says and believing what he says. Faith is the victory. Whom, speaking of Satan, resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. Everyone's going through a hard time. It may not look exactly like yours, but everyone has a temptation. It may not look exactly like yours. Everyone has something that is pressing upon him that maybe is pressing against the principle of faith. And it may look different from one person to the other, but he says, recognize it is not just that Satan has uh, targeted you specifically. It is that all Christians are a target. All are struggling. All are facing this. And we better wake up to the reality of that. Pastor Monty, why would you talk about something like this? Because Satan's working against us is a serious reality. And if we don't know our enemy, we can easily fall prey to his tricks. Our cooperating with him unknowingly is also a reality. Let me be very plain. The most trouble that I have as a pastor doesn't come from outside the church. Ah, Pastor Monty, the, the world hates the church. Um, you know, yes they do, but, but it, I don't have trouble from them. Do you know where trouble comes Trouble comes oftentimes from people who unwittingly are used by Satan to cause trouble in their own church. Unwittingly, they don't even recognize it. They don't even recognize it. And because they don't have this idea that sometimes it is the devil himself that is fueling certain things, because, I, because that's foreign to them. They never consider that unwittingly they may be used as a tool of Satan. Now, because we have a diverse crowd this morning, I want to give you a brief overview about Satan, and then we're going to get into what are his tactics. A brief overview about Satan. First of all, Satan, of course, formerly was an archangel, one of the highest of created angels. That's very clear. Uh, so when he was created, and by the way, angels were created before this earth was created. Okay, you say, Pastor, how do you know? Because the book of Job tells us that the angels of God sang when they saw the creation of God in this world. So we understand, uh, how long ago was that? I don't know specifically, but angels were created before this earth is created. And Michael, pardon me, not Michael, Satan, who became Satan, Lucifer, was a very beautiful archangel, tremendous. The Bible describes him in the book of Ezekiel. And he had all of the perfections. In fact, probably the top dog of all of the created angels, but he had one problem. He decided that he wanted to ascend to the very throne of God, this part of the divine council, the heavenly host often referred to in the Old Testament. These angels, that, that some of them remained in their state of holiness and others rebelled. A number of them rebelled with Satan. So while Satan, or Lucifer, as he was then known, was part of the heavenly host, they led in rebellion in heaven and he fell. We don't know all of the details about that. By the way, I'll be covering some of that in my Genesis class. Oh, and by the way, by the way, Listen carefully, you say, Pastor Money, I, I want to be in your class, but I don't want to leave my class. Okay, that's great. You don't have to anymore. 
All of my lessons are on Sermon Audio. They're all going up on Sermon Audio, including the PDF lesson sheets, where you can download them, you can print them, you can email them to people, you can send it all around. Uh, that it is all going up on Sermon Audio, so don't worry about that. If you want to be in my class, fine, that's, that's fine. If you want to get the, the live feel of it all, that's fine. But otherwise, you can listen online. <laughs> We're making that available to the entire church family and to the people who are listening at home. But Satan led a rebellion of the angels against God, and Satan is now a fallen angel. Okay, that's important to understand. He's a fallen angel. Fundamentally, still has an angelic character about him, but fallen or sinful. At his disposal, there are legions of demons who assist him in his work. It's really important to understand something. The devil is not omnipresent. God is omnipresent. That means God can be everywhere at once. The devil cannot be. He's Pastor Ronnie, I, I think the other day I had a brush with the devil. I, I doubt that you did. I doubt that you did. He said, why? He can only be in one place at a time. Where is he? Well, the White House. Everybody knows that, okay? <laughs> or in the Middle East, or stirring stuff. I, I don't know where. I'm joking, okay? I'm joking. I don't know where, but he's out there somewhere, but he's not, I, I don't think he's present here. Well, you say, Pastor, are there dark forces present in this world? Yes. They are called, we refer to them as demons, sometimes referred to as unclean spirits. There is a class of those things mentioned in both the Old and the New Testament. And they are his workers. They are his army, as it were. So it appears that his influence is everywhere, though he personally is not. I believe Satan actively works to damage the testimony of believers and to harm the work of the church. I believe that he actively attempts to spread doubt and confusion. I believe that as we come to the closing, the end of this age, and I do not know when that will be, that his work will even be uh, more pronounced in coming days. I believe that accomplices are often Christians who fall under his influence through demonic things unwittingly. I say unwittingly because I don't know of too many believers who would knowingly submit themselves to something demonic. But I say unwittingly because many of us are just not sober and vigilant. We're not watching. We're not careful. We're not necessarily reading things that happen in our lives. And by the way, often blaming God. Now I want to pause here for a moment because I think this is important. As a pastor now of 35 years in gospel ministry. One of the strangest things I've seen is this, that when something bad happens, some Christians, they, they view it as bad, happens to them, and then some Christians immediately blame God. And some of them will even say, well, Pastor Monty, if, if God was real, God would have not have allowed this, this, or this, or, or God wouldn't have done this to me. And they blame God. Very rarely, hardly ever, have I heard a Christian say, you know, preacher, the devil really messed things up. I'll give you a further for instance. Sickness, sickness. What do you mean? Yeah, illness, disease. God allows these things in our life for his own purposes. But Jesus made it crystal clear in the New Testament that sometimes, listen carefully, not always, but sometimes physical illness is a mark of the persecuting hand of Satan. 
Remember what the Apostle Paul said? The Apostle Paul said, I had a thorn in the flesh. The thorn in the flesh is a physical malady. It's in his flesh. His flesh is his body. He said, I had a thorn in the flesh. He said, for this thing I asked God three times. God, take it away, take it away, take it away. The Lord wouldn't take it away. Do you remember what Paul identified his thorn in the flesh as? Not specifically, though we think it was a physical malady, but he referred to that thorn in the flesh as this, the messenger of Satan to buffet me. Do you know what Satan can do? He can get a foothold in your life. He can get a hearing in your life. Be very, very careful when you go through a dark time or a difficult time, maybe even a a, a time of mental health instability. Be very, very careful not to assign that to God. It may well be Satan at work. And so Paul said, by the way, the answer was not the removal of Paul's thorn in the flesh. The answer was in the words, my grace is sufficient for thee. So how does the devil sneak in? And normally that's exactly what he does. He sneaks in. How does he do it? I want to consider three concepts about Satan, three things that he possesses or methodologies that he uses that will help us to understand and maybe see and maybe be a little bit more vigilant as we live our lives in 2024. I think, first of all, the devil uses wiles, W-I-L-E-S, wiles, the wiles of the devil. What is a wile? A wile is Satan's subtlety. It is his deception. In Revelation 12, verse number 9, the Bible says that the devil is one who deceives the entire world. Well, Pastor, of course, the devil is a liar. Now, I really need you to listen carefully. Lying and deception are close cousins, but they are not the same thing. Huh? Oh, yeah. Lying, for example, is when someone tells you something, they knowingly tell you something that is provably untrue. That's a lie, okay? They communicate something to you, they know it's not true, it's not just an inaccuracy. They are purposely giving you something that is not true to mislead you. That is a lie. A deception can be classified as this, the withholding of information for someone to whom it is owed. Did you get that? A little bit of a difference. Lying is me saying something that I know is not true. Deception is me withholding information, purposely doing so for likely nefarious reasons from someone who has the right to know. By the way, I want you to listen carefully. Not everyone has the right to know everything. Did you know that? Not everyone. So as a pastor, I know a lot of stuff. I know a lot of stuff I'd rather not know. And do you know what? Unless you're part of the problem or part of the solution, you don't have a right to know any of it. And I will withhold that information just by not talking. Do that all the time. Why? Because I don't want the devil to get an advantage. Now that's not deception, by the way. That's just me simply being, that's called discretion. But in deception, what does Satan do? He, he, he doesn't tell us everything. For example, Satan made a promise to Eve in the garden. If you remember at the temptation, Satan said to Eve, said, uh, in the day that you eat of this fruit, you'll be as God, knowing good and evil. Well, there was some truth to that. 
Adam and Eve became aware of the distinction between that which is morally good and that which is morally evil when they consumed that fruit. So, well, Pastor Monty, I, I guess the devil just told her the truth. Well, not really. He deceived her because he neglected to explain the result of that disobedience. He exalted the knowledge of good and evil. By the way, as if that's a good thing. Wouldn't it be better to be morally ignorant in a world morally ignorant? I think it would be. I, I certainly think it would be. But as if that were a good thing, you're going to be like God. You're going to know the difference between some things you can't comprehend now. You're going to be like God. Nothing great about that. But it was tempting to Adam and Eve. What did Scripture say? Scripture said that God had informed Adam, in the day you eat of it, you shall surely die. It's interesting, in Satan's deception, there is not one word about consequences. Isn't that the way the devil uses deception in our own lives? He'll tell us something that sounds good. He'll tell us something that sounds promising. But he never tells us the consequences. In, in deception, Satan tells us the truth, but not exactly the whole truth. And that's the difference. When, when you're trying to figure out something, the rightness or wrongness of something, you need to look at the consequences that come from actions. Deception is one of the things Satan will use. He, he will only show you the red, shiny apple. He'll never show you the worm. A second one of his wiles, and I've kind of divided this into three different sections. The second one of his wiles is this, the idea of manipulation. Manipulation. Manipulation is subtle. It is imperceptible, but it is a form of persuasion. People who are controlling, and I'm, a few weeks ago someone asked me this, are you going to get back to dealing with your control a series of messages? I preached one, and then I had all kinds of things, Christmas and everything. I will get back to that. But people are controlling often use manipulation. A subtle impression that is left that is often imperceptible by the person being manipulated. So the Bible says of the serpent, of Satan in the garden, that he was more subtle, that he was more capable of manipulation than any of the creatures which the Lord God had made. And in manipulation, Satan often uses the power of suggestion against us. So follow what I'm saying. This is very subtle. It is hard to catch. As a pastor, I've learned to kind of listen to people, and I always ask myself, is that person trying to control me? Okay, even subtly, subtle control. Whenever I sense control, by the way, I always push back against that. I don't like that. You should too. If you're one of the people who subtly controls someone else, by the way, your spouse, it could be either a man or a woman who does this, okay, it's not gender specific. If you're someone who subtly controls by the art of manipulation, you should stop that. And for some people, it is such a habit that they can't stop that, or they struggle with stopping that. But Satan will manipulate, and manipulation uses the power of suggestion. What, what, what do you mean, Pastor Monty, the power of suggestion? This is how subtle it is. Do you know that the devil can suggest something that on the surface seems positive to you? For example, the devil might say something like this. Oh, don't be silly. You're too sophisticated and too educated to believe the Bible. That's a subtle suggestion using something positive. 
Oh, don't, don't, don't attend that church. Don't be, well, those people are a bunch of Bible thumpers. You're far too sophisticated for that. And so the devil whispers that into the ear of someone, not in a critical or self-destructive way, but in a way that builds up that person to the, to the point where they think they are superior because the devil has suggested their superiority. Now I'm talking there about an unsaved person. The Bible speaks of the lost as being those whom Satan hath blinded their minds, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ should shine forth unto them. But sometimes he uses a positive uh, suggestion. Well, I'm, I'm too good. Maybe something like this. He'll suggest, well, progressive people don't need the Ten Commandments. So you've seen a manipulation of Satan on billboards popular a couple years ago, and the billboards read this, you can be good without God. How many remember those? That was an exaltation of humanism. It was a suggestion, a manipulation from Satan that you don't really need God, you can be good because you're a good person because you are fundamentally a progressive. You have departed from the darkness of former ages. You are more sophisticated than ever before. That's a positive suggestion. It's a manipulation. Sometimes Satan suggests to people this. You, he whispers in your ear, are better than everyone else. By the way, that's one of the more popular tools that Satan uses. Somehow you're superior Somehow you're better. You, you don't think of the failings and the faults you have in life as we all should if we look at ourselves realistically. Oh, no, 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 you're better. You have a better idea. You have a better way. You know how things should go. And if they're not going the way you think they should go, then obviously your idea is better because you're just better. You're, you're wiser. That's one of the things that Satan whispers in people's ears. And gets them to think somehow that they are superior. Sometimes in marriage this happens, where either a husband or a wife takes the attitude that he is wiser, or he is smarter, or he is better. And because of that attitude, all of a sudden he'll use those things, maybe even suggesting them to his spouse, to the detriment of her or the detriment of him. Satan, in his manipulation, uses power, uh, positive suggestion. But he also does this. He also uses negative suggestion. Do you know why? Because his goal is to slow your Christian growth down, to stymie it, or to stymie the work of the church. And so Satan will look at you and he'll say, you know what? You're not really saved. What does the Bible call Satan? One of his titles is the accuser of the brethren. Now the brethren are people who know the Lord, but sometimes we, we slip up. How many know that? Do you admit to sin? I hope you admit to sin. Sometimes we sin. And so the devil can take a suggestion and say, well, if you commit this sin or that sin or the other sin, you're really not saved. Now you listen to me. If you have trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you are born again. And you do not lose your salvation. And that, that well, why would the devil tell me I'm not saved? To make you completely ineffective. I cannot begin to tell you how many people have been discouraged over their personal sin in thinking that they were fundamentally spiritually defective and have turned their back on the things of God. And the devil loves to do that. He will trip you up. He'll say you're not really saved. He'll, or he'll say something like this. Well, you know, you're saved, but you're not good enough. You're not good enough to serve. 
You're not good enough to be part of that. Oh, yeah, you're good enough to sit in the back row and, and maybe listen to a sermon, but, but don't get involved because you're not good enough. That suggestion from the devil is a manipulation. Now, it is true, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. It is true that none of us deserves any of God's goodness, but it is also true that if we've trusted Christ as our Savior, we are forgiven and our sins are washed away. And my goodness or ability to serve God or not does not come from anything within me, but it comes by his grace. And when I recognize that it is all of grace, I can bask in the glory of being used by God. I can bask in the glory of divinity touching dust. I can bask in the glory of being a laborer together with God. But Satan would discourage us. He would attempt to tell us we're not good enough. He would attempt to tell us uh, that no one loves you. That's a lie. Well, Pastor Bonnie, you know, I, I, no one really likes me. No one likes me. Do you know what he's trying to do? Isolate you. By the way, the genius of the church, this is not a perfect church. There is no such thing as a perfect church. This is not a perfect church. By the way, this is not a perfect preacher. You all get that, you all understand that. Do you know what the genius of the church is? The genius of the church is that a bunch of imperfect people, redeemed and saved by the blood of Jesus, can come gather together and find a place of warmth and acceptance and love. It's part of the genius of the church. That's why we love all who walk through the doors of our church. We don't necessarily prove with everything of every lifestyle habit or whatever it may be, but we certainly want to show them the love of Christ. The negative suggestion that Satan throws your ways, no one loves you, the whole purpose of that is to lock you into isolation. Sometimes Satan negatively suggests doubt, doubt. Well, how do you know the Bible is the word of God? Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Do you know what that means? The deeper you get into the book, the more you will learn. And the more you learn, there are a lot of things you could convince me of, but you could never convince me that the Bible is not the word of God. Studied it for decades. Now, now Pastor Martin, that must mean you're perfect. No, no it doesn't. But you know what I do believe? No matter my personal inconsistency, do you know what I do believe? That that book, the Bible, is the inspired word of God. And you could never talk me out of that. I've studied it far too deeply to recognize it for anything else. So the devil's wiles include deception. They include manipulation. They also include persuasion. Persuasion. What is persuasion? Persuasion is really ongoing argumentation. The devil likes to twist the truth to argue against what is right. How many of you remember, and we'll not turn there for sake of time, but how many of you remember the temptation of Jesus? Do you remember that? Sure, the temptation of Jesus. What odd thing did the devil do? Repeatedly when tempting Christ, the devil quoted scripture, but he didn't quote it in context. Jesus countered those temptations with Scripture in context. You see, it is the devil who would want to twist the truth, who would want to change things just a little bit. It is the devil who would want to shade something or paint it in a color or a tone that isn't quite accurate. And he does this over and over again, and that is persuasive to people. He, he creates doubt. 
He creates doubt about God. He creates doubt about other people, highlighting their imperfections. He creates doubt about the Bible. Yea, hath God said. It's all persuasion. He sells us in the matter of sin. In other words, he tempts us to sin. Take your Bible, please. Turn to the book of James with me. The book of James, just back a few pages from where you were in 1 Peter. James chapter 1. I want you to see something because it really gives us the a reason for sin in our lives. James chapter 1, and what the devil's part is in this. In our sin and temptation, the devil appeals to our desires. James chapter 1, verse 13. Look carefully at the scripture. The Bible says, Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. Okay, listen. God never tempts you to sin. Period. Ever. Anyone who claims, well, you know, Pastor Monty, I heard a voice, it was the voice of God, and that voice told me to do X, Y, Z, to kill someone. You never heard the voice of God. Don't you ever attribute that to the voice of God. Those in the Muslim faith who claim that the voice of God tells them to wreak havoc worldwide and to destroy the lives of people and to justify the atrocities of Hamas and Israel, and somehow that comes from the mouth of their God, the God of the Bible would never do that. Let no man say when he is tempted, verse 13, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. If you are tempted, the source of your temptation is not God. Don't be confused. Well, what is it then, preacher? Look at verse 14. But every man is tempted when, now watch this. Every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. I have a flesh nature. I have a sin nature. I have a lust nature. I am tempted when that is activated. Now the devil can make sure to throw things in my pathway that activate that. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. And when lust, verse 15, when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Do not err, my beloved brethren. There is no doubt that Satan himself is active in temptation, but how does he do it? He appeals to desires that we already have. In other words, your flesh and my flesh, it's on Satan's side. My desires are not always right. Your desires are not always right. And the devil understands it and knows how to play against us. He tempts us to sin. He appeals to our personal desires. Number two, he appeals often to our pride. Often to our pride. Oh, Pastor Ronnie, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to be a slave to the scriptures because I'm smarter than that. Yes, that's your pride. Or Satan says something like this, the rules will hold you back. That's an attack on your pride. You can be better without quote-unquote all the rules. Or how about this? You deserve better. Boy, that's something the devil tempts us with all the time, appealing to your pride. You deserve better than this, that, or the other thing. Or, or how about this? You can do a better job. Pride is always the source of a critic's passion. We repeat that. Pride is always the source of a critic's passion. Well, what does this have to do? Because the devil uses persuasion. He appeals to our desires, but he also appeals to our pride. We've come to the place, well, well Pastor Money, I'm just much more smarter. I'm much more wise. I know many more things. And, and if you'd listen to me, everything would be better. 
I immediately seen that a great deal of pride, a great deal of pride, and all of us can be guilty of that. He appeals to our desires, he appeals to our pride. He also appeals to our emotion. Do you notice this in persuasion, that the devil doesn't just use a rational argument? In fact, if the devil were honest, which he is incapable of, but if the devil were honest and using a rational argument, you probably wouldn't step outside the box very often. But rather than appeal to something rational, the devil often uses something that was given to us by God, our emotional makeup, to be the place where he sends his message to the mind. What are you saying? Well, in the appeal to the emotions, Pastor Marty, you know, you just need to recognize love is love and it's all the same. And you know what I'm talking about, that woke phrase, okay? Wait a minute. That's an appeal to your emotion of love, listen, and it is a perversion of the same thing. Did you catch that? Well, but, but Pastor Marty, come on, it's just, it's all the same, these emotions. Your emotions can be positive or they can be negative. Your emotions can be directed by and for God, or they can be directed by and for Satan. Try, try this one on for size, hate, hate. Now there are some things that we're supposed to hate. We're not supposed to hate people necessarily. There are some exceptions to that rule. I'm not getting into that in the Bible right now. But sometimes he allows hate to fester in our hearts, doesn't he? It can become very malignant that emotion of not liking that graduates to hate, that graduates to absolutely despising. All of that is something Satan can use. Now, love is a legitimate emotion. Hate's a legitimate emotion, can be. Sorrow, how many times does Satan appeal to the emotion of sorrow? Well, if God were real, he'd just make me happy. And that's never one time stated in the Bible. But he can gain a foothold in our lives when we get depressed and then we say, well, where is God? And we wonder about it. How about anger? Is it ever right to be angry? Sure it is. The Bible says, be angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. There is a place for anger, but if taken over by Satan, it's perverted and changed into something God intended it to be for our safeguard to something that can be to our damage. I'm simply saying the devil uses a lot of persuasion. He uses deception, manipulation, and persuasion. But he also has something else, and I have just a moment. Take your Bible, turn to 2 Timothy with me, please. 2 Timothy. Why are we going through this? Because the Bible says we're to be vigilant. Because our adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. 2 Timothy 2, verse 22, please, every eye there. 2 Timothy 2, verse 22. Paul, writing to Timothy, who is a young pastor at the church of Ephesus, Paul says in verse 22 to Timothy, young man, young preacher boy, Pastor Timothy, flee also youthful lusts, but follow righteousness, faith, charity, peace, with them that call on God out of a pure heart. But foolish and unlearned questions avoid, knowing that they do gender strifes. And the servant of the Lord must not strive. Now, Pastor Monty, what does that mean? The word strive there means to beat people up, to get involved in bitter arguments, okay? To get involved in, in, uh, in, in things that would be very dark that way, okay? The servant of the Lord must not strive. I, I can't beat people up. As much as I'd like to, I can't. The servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach patient. That's what a pastor is supposed to be. Everyone has struggles. Well, Pastor Monty ought to just whip them into shape or kick them out. 
That's not who your pastor is. What does the Bible say? Gentle to all men, apt to teach, patient. Why? In meekness, this is the pastor's bearing toward people, in meekness instructing those that oppose themselves. Huh? Let me ask you a question. Have you ever met a person who opposed himself? I have. A person, we might use the word confused, but they're confused in relationship to what is best for them. And they actually come to conclusions that really in the long run oppose who they are or oppose their well-being themselves. Paul said, preacher, you're going to meet this in meekness, so you're going to instruct those that oppose themselves. If God, peradventure, perhaps, will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth. Look at the next verse. And that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil. Does everyone see that? Who are taken captive by him at his will. What is a snare? So we, we considered for a moment the devil's wiles, but what are the devil's snares? A snare is a trap. Now let me ask a question. Any, any of the men in here, when you were a boy, maybe still do it, did you ever set a snare for a rabbit? Anyone? Anyone? Okay, good, good, good. We've got some younger men, some older men. Okay. You know exactly what this is. A snare is a trap. It is set to catch an animal, for example, a rabbit, when the rabbit is not looking. The snare, in other words, is not like one of those, um, help me someone who's a trapper. What are those traps that have the big and they close like this? A bear trap. A bear, is that what it's really called? What? A steel trap. Very good, thank you. A steel trap, okay? You know, a steel trap, and I know they cover it up with some leaves sometimes and stuff, but steel trap's a little more obvious. A snare is designed in such a way as to be really tricky to see. In fact, very unlikely that the prey is going to see the snare. A snare is said to be imperceptible. Now remember the Bible talks about the snares of the devil, something we don't perceive. A snare is set up to be, it is set up on the pathway of life. If you're very observant and you go into the woods and you look, you'll sometimes see what's called a game trail. Do you all know what I'm talking about, a game trail? That, that's the place where the deer walk through. Maybe it's a very small game trail that goes into some undergrowth. You say, what in the world goes in there? Probably rabbits. Animals are kind of creatures of habit, just like we are. They get onto a certain trail and they make a little impression. Maybe it's just knocking down the grasses that are growing. But you can oftentimes see a game trail. Well, where do you put your snare? Put it right in the trail. Why? Because the trail evidences that that rabbit is going to hop by. It betters her chances. What does the devil do in your life? He puts a snare right in the pathway of life. We don't even see it when it comes. The snare is set to entrap, and the snare is set to prevent progress. A snare is something that happens quickly. It comes out of nowhere. What is a snare? I think a snare could be defined as an impulsive temptation. A snare is something that becomes a sudden distraction from God's plan. Wiles, I think, are more gradual. Snares are sudden. There's no real persuasion involved. All of a sudden, boom, it's right there. And perhaps a decision has to be made. You know, snares can happen in someone's life so quickly 
that it requires pastoral instruction to help them through that. That's verse 25 of the scripture I just read. Snares require repentance. It's a change of mind because you get caught up. You ever heard those words? Pastor Monty, so-and-so, they got all caught up in something. Yeah, they did. I think that reflects the idea of what could be a snare of the devil. Snares require an acknowledging of the truth. The passage I read a moment ago said, if God brings them repentance, what is the repentance? It is to an acknowledging of the truth. And then the good news in verse 26 is this. Someone can get out of a snare that they may recover themselves. So we've got the wiles, we've got the snares with the possibility. And one last one, and I won't touch on it but for a moment. We read it this morning in our scripture reading. 2 Corinthians 2 verses 9 and through 11 speak of the devices of the devil. What are devices? The devil's devices, I think, are things purposely used to distract us from God and from his plan. The devil's devices could include people, bad influences, peer pressure, false teachers, secular professors, immoral people, critics. All of those things can get us off of the plan. That could be a device. It could, it could include things. And by the way, things in and of themselves are not evil, okay? Things in and of themselves. But sometimes the way they're used are. Sometimes I think one of the devil's most popular devices is the cell phone, the computer, the video games. Nothing causes people to be distracted more than that in our day and time. Now, I'm not against them. I, have, I don't have video games. I don't have video games. I don't. I'm not doing it. I don't have time for that. And the last good video game to be produced by the hands of man was that one where it ate things. What is that? Pac-Man. How many loved Pac-Man? Oh, yeah. Yeah. That was, they, that was the end of the road. That was the last good video game to be produced. I think there are dangers and things distracting us away from God, and I think Satan can use things to do that. Sometimes it's a love of material things. Sometimes it's an over-fascination with the physical things of this world. So he uses devices, people, things, sometimes circumstances. I touched on that. Sickness, personal loss, reversal in life or problems, even some relationships. All of these things can be devices of the devil. He uses emotions, and in context of 2 Corinthians 2, the emotion is an attitude of unforgiveness towards someone who was repentant. Paul talks about that there. You say, Pastor Mine, I, I just refuse to forgive so-and-so. Hmm. I want to warn you about something. A refusal to forgive is an indicator that you have fallen prey to the devices of the devil. Read the passage, the one we read in the scripture reading this morning. It's an indicator that you may have fallen for the devices of the devil. Sometimes the devil can use a disappointment in our lives. Sometimes he can use depression. These are devices, anxiety and fear. And sometimes the devil uses something as simple as this, delay. Delay. Preacher, what are you talking about? If the devil can't convince you to not hear the message of the gospel... The next best thing he can do is tell you to wait. Oh, that was all very nice. Why don't you wait till next week to make a decision for Christ? Oh, yeah, yeah, you know, I know the Holy Spirit. Yeah, someone sp God spoke to your heart in the message, but you can just put that off. You can just delay. After all, there's always time. And so the, the, you'll have plenty of time to get things right later. That's what the devil loves to do. Because the Bible says in another place, he comes and steals away the seed of the word of God. 
Folks, let me encourage you. There are a lot of ways in which the devil works in people's lives. Don't fall prey to it. Don't fall prey to his deception. Don't fall prey to manipulation. Don't fall prey to his devices because he's alive and well. Pastor, how, how, how can I avoid it? <laughs> Examine your own heart. Ask yourself if your attitude comes from God or from the devil. It's a good way to start. Ask yourself if an opportunity is scriptural or non-scriptural. Ask yourself if something is good or something is bad. Ask yourself, is it of God or is it of Satan? 2024 is going to be a great year. I, I, I believe that with all my heart because God is on the throne. You know what else I believe? It'll be a year of challenge. But one of the things we need to be most cognizant of, church, is this. That our adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour. And I want to be on the alert as your pastor for you. I want to be on the alert. As an individual Christian, you should be on the alert. As a father, you should be on the alert for your family. As a church member, on the alert for your church. Lest Satan get the advantage over us. And then Paul reminds us in our 2 Corinthians passage, we are not ignorant of his devices. Keep your eyes open and keep serving and loving Jesus. Father, I pray you'll take the thoughts this morning and help us to understand that we have a real enemy who is afoot in this world. And his emissaries are present to influence us to evil. Father, maybe someone's here that is not a Christian. And right now, they're hearing whisperings, maybe not in an audible sense, but invading their mind about delaying becoming a believer. I pray, Lord, you'd work in that heart and overcome that. Help us, Lord, to understand the deceptive nature of Satan. Help us, Lord, to be willing to look at ourselves and make sure that we have not fallen for his wiles, that we have not fallen for his snares or, or his devices. Spirit of God, speak to every heart, we pray in Jesus' name. Stand with me, please, everyone.